Well, I think most of y'all know Karen and I pretty well. You know we have four children, and as uh, Karen and I went to naming our four children, all of them are named after pretty much immediate members of our our family. We have Mary Beth, our oldest, Mary Elizabeth, named after a, a grandmother of mine, Mary, and a grandmother of Karen's named Elizabeth. And then Karen, I have a sister named Amy. Karen has a sister named Michelle. That gives us number two, Amy Michelle. And then there's our third, our first son, whom we named after my dad. So he is Colin Thomas Hahn II. Uh, And then there's Randy. Now, my middle name is Thomas also, so we couldn't give Randy my whole name. So Randy's got part of my name and then has one of Karen's brothers. He's Randall Peter. And so all of our kids, that's how they were named. Now, you you hear me explain that and and describe that. It sounds like, wow, y'all were really kind of purposeful and intentional about how you named your children. And I, you know, even listening to myself explain it, I think, you know, honestly, I don't know why we did that. It's just like we started trending that way and couldn't stop. You know, it just kind of kept going that direction. I especially wonder that now since none of our siblings returned the favor. (laughs) I've got 14, 14 nieces and nephews. Surely one of them wanted to be an Uncle Randy. Come on. Now, I'm not bitter or anything. It just seems like one... Now, yeah, you know, folks, it's kind of funny when we, when we think about naming children in our culture, in, in America, there's really not a lot to it. It doesn't get very extensive. About, about the most extensive it gets is if we name somebody after somebody, a, a family member, a celebrity, somebody we look up to in life and culture, we might name them after that. Most of the time, we don't have any real meaning attached to the name. You know, most of us will go to some tourist place and buy a rock or something that has our name on it with the meaning of our name. That's, you know, oh, that's what my name means. And that's about it. There's not much to it. Now, what I just described is true for our culture is not at all true for the Jewish culture during biblical times. When they named somebody, it was meant to communicate. It was significant. They often would name somebody after members of the family. There would be names that would stay inside of a a family line, much like what Karen and I did, although that had nothing to do with why we, we did what we did. Other times, and this would get kind of, I mean, to be honest with you, weird, they would name kids after things going on things going on in culture, things that describe the times. They would name their kids after things mom and dad were going through. I mean, you you open up Scripture, you'll find a child named Laughter. You open up Scripture, you'll find a child named Bitterness. How would you like to go through your life named Bitterness? Hey, Bitterness! No, 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 you don't need to come over. Just just stay right where you are. (laughs) I mean, that's a name to live with, isn't it? Bitterness? But the key in understanding this, folks, is when they named... It was, it was meant to communicate something. It, it was significant. It was meaningful when they gave names. Now, we're continuing our series today called Christmas Words. We're looking at our last word at the Christmas Eve service, angels. Already we've looked at the word virgin, and we saw in that, and there's a, there's a variety of reasons why there's a virgin birth. There's a variety of things being done there. But, but one of the things that we focused on is the incredible sacrificial love of God. Because, folks, God had made this statement, the way things are going to work that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But your blood, my blood, no animal blood can do that. Only God's blood 
can accomplish that. When God made that rule, He was basically setting up a system only He could pay for. And the virgin birth is God entering this world with a body to shed blood for you and me. The virgin birth is the first step to the cross. Then our second word was fulfilled. That was a fun one. We were looking at prophecy. When you think of Christmas words, you probably don't think of the word fulfilled, although it's probably the most repeated word in the Christmas story in Matthew 1 and 2 in Luke 1 and 2. And it's about prophecy where, where God said, hey, here's what it's going to look like when the Messiah comes. And there's prophecy four and 500 years before, 700, 900 years before, a thousand years before, and it's all fulfilled. And all of this is verifiable. And we saw in that, that, that folks, our faith is not the stuff of myths and fairy tales. Our faith is built on evidence. There, there's reason to believe the Christmas story. Every word of it, as you read it, there's reason, there's evidence to believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that we should listen to Him, obey Him, and follow Him as the Son of God. Then last week, as I just alluded to a moment ago, we looked at the word frankincense. Obviously, there was three gifts brought to Jesus Every one of the gifts communicates something. We said of the frankincense, it points to Jesus being God and the worship that he's worthy of. We, we saw his life also as an offering up to God. And then through several passages, we saw how just like Christ, we can live in a way so that people know God. That's what Jesus did that rose as that fragrant offering. So when you and I are telling people about God, when we're living so they can see God, when we're giving to fund the ministry, expand the gospel, our lives can be that fragrant offering rising up into the home of heaven. And today we come to look at maybe the most significant name in the Christmas story, and I'm pretty sure you all all agree. Maybe the most significant name we will ever utter, the name Jesus. Let's look at that name. It's a gift, folks. That name is a gift to you and me. Let's see it delivered. Would you look with me at Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. If you're thumbing through your Bible there trying to find it, you'll go through Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You've gone too far. Matthew chapter 1, and look at verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now that's kind of strange language when you compare this culture to our culture. Because if you break an engagement in our culture, that's not a divorce, is it? But in this culture, when you got engaged, you were actually legally considered married. You would, you would take on the title husband and wife. There hadn't been a ceremony yet. You hadn't moved in together. You hadn't, or as they say here, come together to produce something. That, that hadn't happened yet. But even during this engagement time, you were legally married. And so to break the engagement would have required a divorce. And so that's why that, that language reads like it does in verse 19. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As we studied the virgin birth, we all know that Jesus arrived here. Jesus' entrance here was in a very special way. 
It was so special that Joseph wasn't buying it. And who would? Would you? No, you wouldn't. I'll answer the question. No, you wouldn't buy that story either. And so God had to intervene. God had to intervene in a, in a supernatural way to get Joseph to buy into this. And, and so he sends an angel and the angel begins to explain to Joseph how Mary came to be with child. And, it, and to me, it's almost like the angel is giving Joseph a little rat-a-tat-tat on the head saying, come on, Joseph, do the math here. Now, if you'll go back to my sermon on fulfilling prophecy... Hey, the Messiah, it was prophesied, would come through a virgin birth. Also through the line of David. Do you see the angel addressing Joseph in that very formal way? Joseph, son of David. Joseph, do the math here. Son of David, virgin birth. This is what God has been saying all along. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised that God is actually doing what he said he was going to do. Sure, it might have been 700 years ago. It might have been 900 years ago. But God is going to do it. And now that you know what's going on here, Joseph, marry that girl. And then name that boy Jesus. Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. And it literally means the Lord our salvation. Remember, it's not just a, that's what they would put on a bookmark or on the bottom of a, of a rock that you and I buy at a tourist place. No, when they said his name, they were literally saying the Lord our salvation. That's how they would have understood his name. And so the angel is literally saying, name the boy the Lord our salvation. Why? Because he will save people which is a derivative of salvation. He will be the salvation of people, you and me, from our sins. And right there, folks, is where you and I are delivered, given as a gift, the greatest word that can part any human lips. For it is at this name, this name, that all prayers are answered. You remember what Jesus said in John 14, 13. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. What an incredible thing. You and I can go before the Father. We can say prayers. And when we deliver those prayers in the name of Jesus, we have the confidence that they're going to be done. Now, that name or, or, or that phrase, in the name of Jesus, that we put as a tag on all of our prayers, it's not a magic incantation to all my wishes and desires. Remember, the name means something. So when I'm praying in the name of Jesus, I'm praying in his character. I, I am praying in who he was. I'm praying in what he's like. It's like Jesus saying, when you pray, when you deliver those prayers to the Father, you're saying, Father, as I've crafted these prayers, I've crafted them around the character and the person of Christ. I've sought to craft them around his purposes and his work to the, to the best of my ability, to the understanding of your word. That's how I'm offering these prayers. In other words, Jesus is kind of telling us how to pray when he says, pray in my name. And when we do that, it's going to be answered. It's at the name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow. Only one name will do that. Philippians chapter 2 says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you imagine that moment? 
Can you imagine that great day of judgment? Do you realize what this is saying? It's saying every saved person, every unsaved person, every God lover, every God hater, every king, every slave, every rich person, every poor person, every devil, every angel, everyone is going to bow and they will say over and over and over, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And some will say that to great joy and celebration as they are ushered into eternal righteousness and heaven with God. Others will make the exact same statement, but to their own judgment and condemnation as they're ushered into eternal punishment, which Jesus describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no question whether every human ever in existence will say Jesus is Lord. They will. The question is, will it be a statement of their faith and salvation or will it be a statement of their judgment and condemnation? For you see, folks, you and I, we're not okay. I'm not making a statement about how your family sees you or how your co-workers see you or how this community sees you or whether you're a good person or a bad person. I'm saying before God, you're not okay. You and I are possessed by sin and death and hell. We actually do need to be saved. We need to be rescued. There needs to be a salvation in our life. And Christmas comes to deliver us that name. The name that will do that for you and for me. I love the way Peter, Peter, one of his first sermons after Jesus has been resurrected, picks up on this thought that the angel delivered to Joseph. And in one of his first sermons, he says this, And there is salvation in no one else. Nobody else does this exist, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no name that will do that. Think how simple this message is. It tells us where salvation is not. Salvation's not in the name of Muhammad. It's not in the name of Confucius. It's not in the name of Buddha. Salvation is not in the name of the Pope. Salvation's not in the name of Billy Graham. Salvation's not in your name. You may have a good name. You may have a very good reputation in our community. You may have done a lot of good things under your name. Your name may possess a lot of good deeds, but your name will not gain you entrance into heaven. There is no name but one. Your name will not give you right standing before God. That name doesn't exist until Christmas. Christmas gives us that name, Jesus. Folks, Jesus is the name by which you and I can be rescued, by which you and I can be saved from sin and death and hell. Folks, when you and I come under that name, this is one of my favorite thoughts in all of Scripture. It's communicated in Revelation chapter 3. When you and I confess the name of Jesus, then at the great day of judgment, Before God the Father and all the holy angels, Jesus will confess your name. What an awesome thought. Jesus will confess my name when I've come under his name. Folks, have you come under the name of Jesus?
To come under His name means that that I place myself under holy, totally, completely, the name of Jesus Christ. I am trusting in nothing else. I'm trusting in no one else. There's no institution. There's no experience. There's no work that I am counting on, that I am looking to, to give me right standing before God. I look wholly and completely to Jesus alone. I am under His name. To be under the name of Jesus means now my life is about the name of Jesus. It is for His glory. It is for His purposes. It is for His name that I live. That is what it means to come under the name of Jesus. Have you come under that name? You know, there's a lot of reasons that people don't come under that name. You know, it's it's hurtful when people don't accept a gift, isn't it? And I'm not talking about a white elephant gift, okay? We we don't do this every Christmas. We don't do this every birthday. But every now and then, we've really got a special gift, right? You put some real thought into what you want to give, what you want this gift to accomplish for that person, what you want it to do for them. Maybe it's a gift that it sets you back. You couldn't do it this Christmas. You're still trying to get ready to get enough money together to do it for their birthday. This is a big gift. Can you imagine them walking right by it and snubbing it? Not caring, not knowing, not looking. There's a lot of reasons we might reject the gift, but it's hateful all in the end, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how good we think we are by the things we do, yet if we reject the gift, we hate the gift giver? There's a lot of reasons that happens. Uh, Let me take all those reasons and put them under three categories. One category is, I don't believe. I I, I don't believe in Christianity. I I, I believe in Buddhism or Hinduism or New Age. Or maybe, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I believe it's all hooey. I don't believe in an afterlife or the, the supernatural or any of that. I don't believe in anything. And that's fine. You certainly can make that choice. Jesus says there is a tremendous consequence for that choice. Unbelief is eternal life in hell. Eternal life separated from God. Another reason we don't believe is, and and I'm not saying any person says this, though there are people that do, but it's really, it's what the actions of our life end up saying. And this is what we're saying about the gift. I don't need it. I'm, I'm good enough. I'm good enough without it. You know, I, I, I choose the right religion, I choose the right church, I, I do good deeds, I'm a pretty good person, I'm respected by folks. You know, I, I believe I'm, I'm okay. As a matter of fact, you know the religion I chose? I chose Christianity. I chose Christianity. It's got some good rules, some good principles. I, I like what it says about God. That's the one I chose. Because you see, folks, you can be under the banner of Christianity and not be under the name of Jesus Christ. There are people filling churches all across America today. This is what Jesus says, not me. This is not my judgment. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says there are a lot of people that will come under the banner that don't actually know them. You see, when I'm asking the question, have I come under the name of Jesus? I'm not asking if you're a religious person, if you've been through religious rituals, if you've been a member of a church for a long time. That might be a product of coming under the name of Jesus, but it is not coming under the name of Jesus if we're counting on the good that I'm trying to be and the good I'm trying to do. So you've got one person saying, I'm good enough. And then a third category is a person that is just the opposite from that person. This person, I'm good enough. This person, the name's not big enough. 
I'm not good enough for God's love. I'm not good enough for God's forgiveness. This person is overwhelmed, consumed by their guilt. Maybe the amount of their sin or the the kind of their sin. This person forgets that God said, no, you're, you're not okay. No, you're not good enough. You're a sinner separated from me. You're a sinner who has fallen short of who I am and what heaven is. This person forgets God has said, Yes, my name is big enough. My name can cover any of your sins. My name can cover all of your sins. Let me ask you a simple question this morning. Have you come under the name of Jesus? And I'm being repetitive here. I'm not saying, are you a good person? I'm not saying, do you know where your church membership is? I'm not saying, have you checked off all the religious rituals that need to be taken care of? I'm saying, have you come under the name of Jesus Christ? Do you know? Do you know today that you've been born again, that you're a child of God? Do you know that on that great day of judgment, Jesus will confess your name? 1 John 5.14 says, These things I have written to you to those who believe on the name of Jesus that you may know. Folks, the the name of Jesus doesn't leave us with fear. The name of Jesus doesn't leave us with doubt. The name of Jesus doesn't leave us, well, I hope, well, I think. The name of Jesus, if you're under it, gives you a constant security and confidence that you belong to him and that he will confess your name. Do you have that today? Folks, I want to give us an opportunity today to celebrate Christmas the only way it's to be celebrated. The issue is not what we're going to eat or what we're going to open, or what we're going to give. The issue is, if I opened His gift? Am I celebrating, enjoying, and living His gift? Today, have you come under the name of Jesus? You know, in a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and there's going to be pastors down here at the front. And folks, I think we have a time where many in this room need to come forward. There's three of you, to be exact, three kinds of people. One is somebody who's already come under the name of Jesus Christ. You're a believer, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. You have been saved. But right now, today, you're not really connected to his church. Whole lots of reasons for that, but you're you're not connected. Your name may be on a membership roll somewhere across town, across the country. But that's not your church anymore. That's not where you're going. It's not where you intend on going. But you need to get connected to his church. You know, we heard Dale up here a moment ago talking about his anniversary and we kind of ooh and awe at that. We just love seeing that love, don't we? Did you know that kind of love that, that makes us melt, that kind of love that we long for and desire, that's the same way Jesus described the church. He's the groom. We're the bride. He loves the church. And he wants us connected to it. I'm not talking about just having my name on the roll. If you come down, we'll put your name on the roll. But that's not what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to become vitally connected to the body of Jesus Christ. Living, serving, and worshiping together. It's together that we follow Him. And folks, I can't believe that we can celebrate Christmas as we should with this great name. The purpose of the name is to bring us into the body. To connect us with the church. And so in a moment, you want to come down here and tell one of these pastors, I know this is where God has us. This is where we belong. I want to be a member here at the Heights. We'll help you with that decision. 
Another person that needs to come forward today is somebody, again, who's already come under the name of Jesus. You're a believer, a genuine follower of Jesus, but you've never been baptized. You've never followed Jesus in baptism as a believer. You know, folks, the New Testament doesn't show us one single person being baptized who does not go down into the waters. They don't show us one single person being baptized for whom that person going down into the waters, that was their personal decision. Baptism is not a result of what somebody else does for us. It's not a result of I reached a certain age, so I go through these classes, and then I go through this ritual. Baptism is a result of coming under the name of Jesus Christ. The great commission, the great reason you and I, the church, are on this earth, Matthew 28, go into all the world and do what? Baptize them in the name. You see, when you and I go into that water, we're identifying my life with his life, my name with his name. If you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, boy, the best way you can celebrate and honor the gift this Christmas is to come forward and tell me as pastors, I, I'm a believer, but I need to follow in baptism, and let's get that lined up to do. What a great way to start the new year. And then the third person is somebody in here today who's never come under the name of Jesus. Maybe you've, maybe you've never heard anything like this. Maybe you've never been in church. Or maybe you're just the complete opposite. You've heard this stuff every Sunday. You've been in church all your life. But you've never come under the name of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith today. You might be in the middle of the road. There might be five people on each side. I can't, I can't get out. Let me tell you something. If you tap one of them on the shoulder and say, I need to go down front and come under the name of Christ. I tell you what, I believe that'd be the most exciting thing the person would do this day would be to get out of your way so that you could come down here and to do that. Do you need to actually love God, respect and enjoy the gift He's given you? Then don't spend another Christmas walking away from the gift. Now folks, let me tell you something. I've been at this long enough to know there's a lot of reasons to not come down. I want to give you one thing to think about. Whatever that reason, I'm busy, we, we've got, we're doing this today, I've got, we've got to get here, we've got to leave soon, all this has got to happen, I don't know, there's all these people, people are looking, they may not know what I'm doing down there, I don't know, what the, let, me, let me ask you this, whatever reason you would have for not coming down here this morning, would you want Jesus to use that reason when it comes time to confess your name at the great day of judgment? Would you want him to say, boy, we've got to get going, I don't know that I have time, this is the spot. Boy, I don't know. There's a lot of people. There will be a lot of people looking. There will be billions of people looking when it comes time to confess your name before the Father and the holy angels. What reason would you use today for not coming forward? Do you want Jesus to use that reason when it's time to confess your name?